Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. The Texas Outdoor Musical is back this summer in Paladero Canyon State Park. Tickets for this family-friendly show are selling fast and it's running through mid-August. Don't miss out. You can reserve your tickets now at texasshow.com. That's texas-show.com. Another thing that's back this summer is the Hey Amarillo Beer Fest, sponsored by this podcast. It's July 31st at Starlight Ranch Event Center. You can sample beer from Amarillo and Texas Panhandle Breweries, followed by a concert from the best Def Leppard cover band in the nation. They are very, very good. Tickets are available now at bit.ly slash beerfest21. That's bit.ly slash beerfest21. And as part of this podcast partnership with Brick and Elm Magazine, I also want to give a podcast shout out to Rockwood Furniture Company. They've got a showroom on I-27 between Amarillo and Canyon. You can learn more at rockwoodfurnitureco.com. Today's guest is Viv Solomon. Viv grew up in Borger, but landed in Amarillo a few years ago after college. She works in the world of physical therapy, which we talk about some, but she's also the host of a podcast with an audience that extends way outside this region. It's called How to Live with Viv, and it's about navigating through your 20s, which can be a time of self-discovery, self-doubt, isolation, reinvention, and a lot more. I love talking to fellow podcasters in this area, and I think Viv has a really unique perspective, and she has a great podcast. So here's Viv Solomon. Viv Solomon, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. This is like a really cool setup. This is something that I've never done before outside. Like, yeah. this is awesome. So this is, it's it's been an experiment. It worked okay last summer. Uh, this summer recording outside has been a little harder. I, there have been more people mowing lawns or something. More people uh, want to be outside. Maybe. Yeah, we've had we've had a few more of those headaches, uh, but we'll see if we can get through this one. Uh, we are on the back porch, so if you hear any dogs barking or bird noise, that's that's what happens when you're outside. Yeah. Um, thanks for being on the show. I, I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I'm I, pumped. I, I want to start the way I start with all of my guests and just ask how you ended up here in the Amarillo area. So what's what's your story? Your family story? Well, I'm uh, originally from Borger, so that's where I was born and raised. Went to high school there, um, actually attended Frank Phillips College for two years after graduation, and then transferred over to Texas Tech, um, where I got a degree in kinesiology. So I lived in Lubbock up until 2018, and I originally planned to move to the big city after college. Mm -hmm. That was my dream. All my friends that I met in college are from Dallas, you know, Dallas, Houston, Austin area, And I always wanted to move down south. Well, you know, graduating college, no one tells you that you're going to be broke. (laughs) You don't immediately make money after you graduate, which, you know, in some cases that's not true. But in mine, it definitely was. So I was lucky enough that my parents, um, they were really, really graceful in that period. And they let me live in one of their rent houses after college to kind of get on my feet, you know, start applying to jobs, you know, get something, you know, and I wanted to work in physical therapy. Mm -hmm. So I helped open up the plaza in Lubbock. So I worked there all throughout um, college. My dad is really good friends with the owners of the plaza. So that's the same 
family that owns the plaza. Yes. Yeah. So they're, yeah, they're like, um, basically there's different sets of brothers that run, um, each individual plaza now. And so anyways, I transferred back over to the one in Borger, which was a huge deal for me. I had to swallow a really big pill of pride. Yeah. <laughs> um, moving back home. Yeah, moving back home. And not only moving back home, but working in a restaurant where I'm going to see everyone in town. And, you know, living in a small town and everyone means well. There was no ill intention, but they would always ask me, man, I thought you, you know, went to Texas Tech. You just graduated. What are you doing back here waitressing? And so I'd have to explain. And, you know, coincidentally, that's how I met one of my future bosses is working at the Plaza and Borger. And she was the physical therapy director at Vibra Rehab mm-hmm. Hospital here in Amarillo. At that time, I was working at the bar um, in in the plaza, and she was sitting there having a margarita. We started talking, and she told me she was a physical therapist. I told her, you know, man, that's what I want to do one day. And, yeah, I told her I just graduated. You know, long story short, she offered me a job at Vibra. I started a tech position at Vibra Rehab Hospital. After about three months of working there, I got pretty sick of driving back and forth. From Borger to yes, Amarillo. Yeah. Yes. And so I decided I need to find a full-time position in Amarillo so that I can convince myself to move from Borger. That was the deciding factor is if I could find a good full-time position, then of course I would leave, you know. Before we get too far down that road, tell me about growing up in Borger and... You know, I'm always interested in the perspective that someone has of Amarillo when they grow up in one of these, you know, smaller satellite communities. Mm -hmm. Was it the kind of thing where you came here occasionally as a kid to to shop or? Oh, yeah, 100 percent. Every Sunday after church, I would come to Amarillo with either my parents or my grandparents and we'd go to the mall or the flea market and then we'd go out to eat and then we'd go back to Borger. I mean, there's so many things in Amarillo that aren't in Borger, obviously. Mm-hmm. And we were just, we like to experience, you know, different restaurants and there's not a target in Borger. For- well, yeah. <laughs> now that I'm older and I've lived in Amarillo and in Lubbock for so long, I'm like, how did I live 18 years without these things? <laughs> and it's, it's funny because a lot of people, like if you are in Borger or Pampa or one of those places, you think of Amarillo is the big city. Yeah, yeah. But then you also wanted to like get out of Lubbock or get out of Amarillo yes. to a big city. Yes. Um, and I wonder like now that you have ended up here, is that still maybe your dream? Is that still In the something? back of my mind. Yeah, I um, mean, or d- does this feel like a place that you can, you know, kind of set up camp and, and keep going? I'm going to be really honest with you. Growing up in Borger, I think because I grew up in Borger and not actually Amarillo, I told myself I don't ever want to live in the panhandle. That was never the plan. You were ready to get out. I was ready to get out of the panhandle. I wanted to, I, traveling has always been a priority for me and experiencing different, just different things has always been a priority for me. Ever since I was 15, that was the first time I went abroad. And so I wanted to live somewhere more diverse and just new and different. And so when I first moved back to the panhandle, well, I mean, I guess I still kind of think of Lubbock as the panhandle. It's kind of South Plains. They don't think of themselves as the panhandle. Yeah, but it's Maybe really similar. Yeah. yeah, it's really similar. So when I moved back, I was actually really bummed. And to my surprise, 
within like six months of living in Amarillo after college, I was shocked to realize how much I didn't hate it. I almost wished I hated it because then I was like, that was going to be my, yeah, that was going to be my motivation to leave, you know, but I started spending more time here and being here. I don't know if it was because of the time, the age I was when I moved back, but it was a really transitional period in my life. And it was the first time I started to feel like my true self come out. Does that make sense? And well, because, I mean, that that's what happens in your 20s. I mean, yeah. You get out of college, you get out of this, like, preparatory phase, yeah. and then it's the real world phase, which that doesn't make any sense. It's all the real world. But, like, you, you, you get to do your own thing and follow mm-hmm. your own path at that point. And there's there's one thing that I love about being here in, around that age is because there's a lot of opportunity to grow here and learn without it being as harsh as like living in a big metropolitan area. I feel like making mistakes here, they're a lot less consequential, maybe because I'm from here and I have a lot of family here to support me and back me up as well. Um, But to me, it just seems less scary. (laughs) You know what I mean? To figure out who you are in somewhere like Amarillo. Is that because it's a little bit smaller? Yeah. You've got, it's less intimidating. It's more familiar. There's definitely a lot more people here that I know Mm -hmm. in general. Um, but to me, moving to the bigger city was always intimidating, but also exciting. And that was kind of part of the reason why I wanted to go. And that's an interesting perspective because a lot of people in their twenties think, well, I, I want to get out of here. I want to go to the big city because there are more things to do. There are yeah. more things for me, more opportunities. Mm-hmm. And that was Forget definitely the, the mindset right. that I had. Yeah. But then they forget the part about how there's a, a comfort here or a lack mm-hmm. of intimidation or or maybe a grounding that can kind of help you find yourself exactly. before you go do those other things. Exactly. And that's exactly what I found when I moved back. I was, I was able, there was a lot less distraction here. Um, so I was able to really focus on my, not only like my mental health journey, which is if you've listened to my podcast, that's kind of what I center it around is mental health, my mental health journey and just my, I would say emotional and just personal maturity and well-being there's a lot of things that I was able to grow into because there's a lot less things to do here so what else is there to do but to sit and work on yourself you know if I would have moved to the city I would have a lot of my friends are there and not to say that they're intentional distractions but I would have I would have been running around with my friends doing you know what you do in your 20s you know you go out and you do all the fun things which don't get me wrong I still did a lot of those things but being in Amarillo, it definitely forced me to sit with myself a lot hmm. more at that an is, earlier age. I that is like. interesting. And and I've heard a lot of people look back and think, man, what did I do in my 20s? Like, yeah, It's just exactly. this lost period. Yeah. <laughs> where they could have been. <laughs> they don't even remember it. <laughs> yeah. Building a business or yeah. starting something, creating something. And they, yeah. they just were running around having fun. Yeah. Before we talk about your podcast, I'd like to talk about... Uh, your work, uh, ending up in physical therapy. Where where did you end up working? So, um, you know, back to me finding my boss that got me a job at Vibra Rehab. Well, I, I met somebody at Vibra that knows my current boss. <laughs> and uh, they were like, hey, my buddy Derek is opening up his own clinic. He needs a full-time tech. I know you're looking for a full-time position me not knowing, you know, what I was getting myself into, I just texted him out of the blue and was like, Hey, I heard you're looking for a position. I'm a technician right now. I'd love, you know, to sit down and talk with you. And 
of course, we interviewed and we hit it off and he offered me the job like a week later. And the day that he offered me the job is the day I found a place to live in Amarillo and also signed the lease. So it was all happening really, really fast. Um, so right now I work for IPAL Physical Therapy. Okay. What? Tell me about the name IPAL. IPAL, it stands for In Pursuit of Wellness. Okay. Oh, that's like the most common question. Yeah, <laughs> I, I knew it. And I'm going to ask that question because I know that that's what listeners are, yeah. are, are wondering. There are a lot of people that understand physical therapy. Uh-huh but may not have experienced physical therapy. Um, and so if you could like explain who your clients or patients are at mm-hmm. IPAL and why they come you know, to your offices. So, you know, a lot of people don't know that physical therapy can actually treat a grand scheme of things. You know, when you think of PT, you think of somebody that just, just got, got out of surgery, just got out yeah. of surgery or was in a really bad accident and has to, you know, work on a broken arm or a broken leg. And there's actually a lot of things that we treat. Um, and because of that, the the clientele that we have range from like two years old to like 92 years okay. old. Um, we treat everyone um, under the sun, it seems like. And it can be anywhere from just regular low back pain or something like vertigo that you wouldn't even think that physical therapy could treat. I will say IPAL is a really progressive clinic in that sense. So we have a really progressive mindset in the way we treat patients. Um, My boss is really big on like neuroplasticity and retraining the brain. And um, we'd like to treat our patients holistically and not just focus on their one specific injury you as know? opposed to just like a muscular or joint or, or yeah help you and don't get me wrong they do do that you know right. muscular uh muscular stability muscular strength all that stuff plays a part in it um and it's all these different puzzle pieces that come together to help the patient as a whole if we're seeing you for low back pain and we're training you to get stronger, to get more stable, you know, not only will we help you with that low back pain, but you're going to get a stronger core. You're going to get better balance. And, you know, a lot of the times patients leave with like better confidence in themselves. Um, We see people at a really low time in their life when if you've ever met somebody that's been dealing with pain for more than a year, it's, it's not something that, is easy to overcome and um, to stay consistent with. Yeah, they it's, they almost end up with an aversion to physical activity, or yeah, they've been avoiding they, something. They for don't so want to move. They, yeah. yeah, and so we our job is to convince them that I know you don't want to do this, but it. I promise you, it's going to benefit you. I promise that you're going to hate us for a little bit, and then you're going to love us. Okay. You know, and it's been really cool to see just the amount of people that we've been able to help and and heal. There's a lot of different things that we do in the clinic. Not only do we do PT, but I started at IPAL as a laser therapy technician. So we offer laser therapy, which is just a natural alternative to injections and pain medicine. That's kind of our, our thing. You know, we want to promote natural healing, not to say there's a time and a place for medication and injections, but that shouldn't be the place where you start. You know, there's, not a lot known about physical therapy in this area. We want to be the go-tos. Like if you have any type of pain or injury, you shouldn't ask your doctor first. You should ask your therapist. Hmm. Does that make sense? And yeah. a lot of people don't know that. And that's kind of what we're trying to promote. In, in that sort of setting, help me understand the role that a tech would play compared to 
like the physical therapist. Okay. I mean, how, how does that balance of, of structure work? So it's a little bit different at IPAL. We don't have really traditional tech roles at IPAL, but traditionally the physical therapist is kind of like the overseeing doctor of, of the patient. So they're supervising their plan of care. Um, once they get in for an initial evaluation with the actual physical therapist, uh, they'll be treated by either the physical therapy assistant with occasional visits with um, the the doctor of physical therapy, which okay. is the PT. And where the tech plays a role is we kind of we assist the PTAs and the PTs in their treatment. So, you know, we can we can help with exercises. We can do any modality in the clinic um, for IPAL specifically uh, if we're doing laser therapy with a patient. They're completely separate from PT. So we have our own set of patients um, as technicians at IPAL. And that's not traditional. Traditionally, you have to work under a PT or a PTA. It's similar to like, you know, doctor, nurse, nurse's aide roles. And so, but at IPAL, it's, it's different because we have our own set of patients with that laser therapy that we provide. So okay. it's really cool. So you're still you're still young, you're still early in your career, so I want to ask this question. I don't always get this opportunity, but you know, when you were going to school, knowing that you wanted to get into physical therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, now you're 2 years into it working in physical therapy. Is it like are you doing what you thought you would be doing when Ab- you were in college? Absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> no, because um my you know, while I was at tech, I I was on the fast track to actually apply to PT school and become the physical therapist. Well, you know, life happens and I could have applied, but I decided to take a break to focus on my mental health. I knew that if I would have gotten into PT school straight out of undergrad, I don't know if I would have been able to follow through because it's such a rigorous program. A lot of people don't know that physical therapy is actually a doctorate program now. And it's really difficult. I mean, they make you sign papers to where you are not allowed to work during school. Your whole existence is centered around being in physical therapy school. And I just wasn't mentally prepared for that, or at least I didn't think I was. So I took time off, found myself at IPAL. I was blessed with an incredible team of people to learn from. And my my boss specifically, Derek, he, I would say, not pushed me, but guided me into the position that I'm in now. So I don't work as a technician at IPAL anymore. I'm their multimedia director. Okay. Um, so I took, it started with me taking over their social media and their news, writing and editing their newsletter, things like that. There's a lot of things at IPAL that we do in-house that I would assume a lot more businesses probably contract out, right. you know, other other people, which I think you do some. I do a lot you of You do that. some yeah. of that, right? Yeah. And um, he took a notice to my podcast, actually, which was actually really embarrassing for me. I was like, oh, no. He <laughs> like listened somebody to, I work with is listening, listening to this? Listening to my podcast. Yeah. He started listening to my podcast and following it. And he was like, you have a real knack for... Um, speaking and editing and all this stuff. And he kind of cultivated that at iPow for me and let me get into the media. I started recording all of our YouTube videos, taking all of our photos for social media and even all of our photos on our website now. It was always something that I had a passion about. Obviously, I wouldn't have started a podcast if I wasn't passionate about things like that. Nobody gets into podcasting for the money. (laughs) but We're um, still trying to figure that part out. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. So 
uh, it was really cool that I could kind of get both of my fixes. I, I could exercise that creative muscle, but I could also still work with patients. And there's a lot of pride that I have in, in patient care and just helping the community in that way. And that's something that a lot of businesses are dealing with and trying to figure out because it's it's not enough anymore to just say, well, I'm going to open up a physical therapy office or mm-hmm. I'm going to open, open a doctor's office or a business, you've got to think about the marketing side of it. And that involves it's a huge social media and video and, and it, it can't be an afterthought. Yes. And so there are some businesses that take all that in-house mm-hmm. and there are a lot of benefits to doing that. There are some that contract it out. There are some benefits to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's always a difficult part of, of figuring out your business structure. Like how much importance are we going to give to these things? Definitely. And and learning how to connect with potential customers, to connect with existing clients, with all that kind of stuff. Definitely. And it's been really cool to see because I started, I want to say it was, it was probably a year into working at iPow because I've worked there for three years now. Um, a year into working at iPow that I really started to get a lot more hands on with the marketing aspect of everything. And it's funny to think about the way my skills have developed over the last three years because the things that I was doing for them initially compared to now just seem so like different and better. You know, my skills have just gotten better and better. So it's really cool to see. And three years is a long time in internet time. Yes. Social media time. Yes, exactly. Exactly. It's just, it's really neat um, to see. And I'm super thankful that I was given that opportunity. I feel like, you know, what are the odds that I I go into a PT clinic thinking that I'm going to work in just physical therapy and then I get to exercise this other side of myself that I also am really passionate about, you know? Okay, so, so you've you've mentioned it a couple of times. Um, it's it's not every day that you run into a someone working in a physical therapy office that has a podcast yeah. that's not related at all exactly. to the physical therapy side of it. So tell me tell me about that. Tell listeners how that developed. Well, um, I graduated college uh, and I realized that I was given this amazing circle of friends and a lot of my friends live out of town. So for us to uphold our friendships, we would have these super long conversations over the phone via FaceTime or, you know, just just over the phone regular And we would have these awesome conversations for hours at a time. And I'm just like, man, if other people could hear this conversation, I know it would help them. And at that time, I was going through so many different things personally, as far as my, like I said earlier, my mental health. And I was just given a really great support system. I told my best friends, you know, hey, I want to start a podcast, but I want it to be centered around our conversations and without even thinking about it about it all of them said yes Hmm. they were so excited that I wanted to do something like that which is not what I expected I was expecting them to say what like what you're gonna start a podcast about what what are we gonna talk about you know and it just it became so natural and organic to just I just had the first six episodes are just me and my best like my very best friends talking about either something that they went through that, you know, they overcame and now they want to help somebody that might also be going through that thing or something that they're just really passionate about that they want to share their story. And so that's kind of how, how to live with Viv started. And 
I started the podcast initially thinking no one no one was going to listen. Mm-hmm. Um, thinking that, you know, if anything, when we get into like our 40s and we go back and we're able to listen to who we were in our 20s, like how cool would that be? And um, so if anything, that that would be something to gain from it. But it turned into this this much bigger thing where we were all able to hold each other accountable um, for the things that we were going through and the things that we were working through and and growing through together. And I'm I'm so thankful that I have those type of people in my life. Tell me how it grew beyond you know, those first six episodes that was you and your friends. At some point, you're going to run out of friends to interview, you know? Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. And you got to figure out what's, what's it going to be going forward. How, how did you make that transition? So I want to say the first, the first 10 episodes were people that I knew personally. And then I started the podcast in 2019. So at the beginning of 2020 is when all, you know, the pandemic broke out mm-hmm. and we were forced to be at home and what better thing to do than to podcast, right? And so I started reaching out. I started joining Facebook groups with uh, fellow podcasters around the nation. Okay. And I got a message from this girl, and she was like, hey, I'm making a, a group on Instagram with other female podcasters in their 20s. Do you want to Do you want to be a part of it? And so it was like a group of 10, 15 girls and they were all doing the same thing that I was doing, but in different parts of the country. So that kind of opened my eyes to the power of social media, yeah. for one. And two, that I could interview these other girls that are doing what I'm doing and kind of open up my audience to them and their audience to me. It was so cool to find other women my age that had the same idea and saw value in sharing other people's stories and sharing their own. And so much of your focus is on people in their twenties. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether it's, it's giving advice or talking about their experiences or helping people deal with the mental health aspects. Why, why is that age range? I mean, number one, yes, that's a lot of people who are listening to podcasts are young people, but why is it important to like, think about some of these, how to live a good life, types of topics when you're that age? For me, I think it's because when I was 20 to 23 years old, I had a completely different mindset than I have right now. I feel like from the age 20 to 30, there's a big jump in your growth and in your maturity level. The things you learn about yourself, the things you learn about the world, there's a lot. You're like a baby adult, you know, (laughs) there's so many things that you're going through in that moment in those years that you are forced to learn about yourself and you just learn about the world in general. Not always with like guidance. I mean, sometimes no, you're just kind of free falling. (laughs) You're just kind of free falling. And, and the biggest thing for me is, is I always want to be the person that I didn't have. And that's kind of, that's kind of my thing is if, if I'm talking to people in high school, you know, and letting them know, hey, this is what to like really expect because nobody really told me what to expect. They told me a version of what I thought being in college and being in your 20s would be like. But and to a certain degree, I can't really tell them exactly what's going to happen. But I, for me, I don't sugarcoat anything. Yeah. I'm very honest. And 
and open about my my journey because I think that's how you make a difference, especially with mental health. There's a huge stigma when it comes to talking about mental health and mental illness. Um, just like we were talking earlier about uh, physical therapy, it's not hard for us to talk about um, like a broken arm or a broken leg, but mm-hmm. to talk about a broken spirit, that's yeah, yeah. that gets really difficult. I, I remember when I was in my 20s, uh, there was a book that came out called The Quarter Life Crisis that was about, it was, it was taking this idea of a midlife crisis and saying, yeah, maybe that's one thing, but there's also this period in your 20s where you do suddenly find the ropes have come off and mm-hmm. you're on your own and you're having to match up maybe your expectations of what it's supposed to be like in your 20s with the reality of where you end up. And that that's also a, a period where there are a lot of mental health crises that happen. Yeah. Uh, and I wonder if you've like found that to be like more than just a, a popular book idea. I mean, that's something that your friends have gone through. That you've yes, seen. exactly. And then the more I started to talk about it with my friends, the more I realized that most of them had those same struggles and to be able to have a community of people that I can talk to and know that there's not going to be any judgment behind what I'm saying or or they're truly going to understand what I'm going through. I think that was um, a big thing on what I wanted to do with the podcast is hopefully if when people are listening, they get that sense of community and that sense that, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm not the only one that's dealing with this stuff at this age, you know, and there's a lot of really kind of scary things out there when it comes to mental health. I feel like in your 20s, especially in the age that we're in now with social media and everything, my generation specifically, we've grown up with the internet. I think think what they told us uh, when we got older was we were the first generation to have computers from kindergarten up to now. And so uh, growing up with the internet, I mean, it messes with you. Yeah, oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's something that generations before us didn't have to deal with as much. What do you know about your listeners? My podcast is very regionally focused, and so I hear from people all the time who listen to it, mm-hmm. but they live here. Like, they are people who, who know me or see me. Yours is not tied to any sort of area, even no. though you're doing it from here in Amarillo. It's like, do you interact with listeners at all? Do you yeah, definitely. Um, to my surprise, there was a lot of people that I went to high school with that have messaged me, and they're like, I am so glad that you made this podcast and you decided to be so open and vulnerable. Um, there's a lot of people that are like t- that tell me like I couldn't do it, but hearing you say that, like saying the things that you're saying on your podcast, have it's given them maybe like a sense of comfort or just knowing that they're not the only one that have gone through the things that I have gone through or my friends. How many episodes? Do I have? Yeah, do you have right now? Oh, man, I just looked at that actually recently. I want to say it's like 50. Like, okay. we're getting up there. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> I, have a lot of, um, I have a lot of episodes. Uh, you said that eventually I would run out of friends. I haven't yet, Jason. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't Totally yet. understand. People ask me the same thing. <laughs> I haven't run out of friends yet. So What, what do you have planned cool. for the future of your show? I mean, eventually you are no longer going to be in your 20s. That's true. With a topic that is sort of tied to a stage of life. Like, how do you think about the future of it? I would assume that it would transition. I mean, there's still things that 
we have to learn in our 30s. Okay. You know, I think it would just grow with me. The The target audience would change and maybe a lot of things would evolve about it. It would still, I would say I'd probably still keep it as how to live with Viv as that brand. It would just kind of grow and evolve with me. I mean, that's kind of the basis of the podcast is yeah. growing and learning. So tell me what role living here in Amarillo has played in where you've ended up. Because I know, you know, you've, you've thought about your mental health, you've thought about the job opportunities, you've thought about, you know, what you ended up doing. You know, had you gone off to Dallas or Houston or some big city, like, do you think you'd end up, have ended up in the same place? You know, it's hard to say, but I really don't think I, I would have. Like you said earlier, there's, a, there's something about Amarillo that's really grounding. I have a lot of family here and um, being around people that I love so, so much in this big transitional part of my life has been so nice. And I think it it would have made this time in my life feel a lot more cold had I been in a big metropolitan area. Um, so I think being in Amarillo definitely, like I said, it, it, it just gave me more time to sit with myself and and decide who I am without all these big external factors. This episode of Hey Amarillo is brought to you by my friends at the WT Enterprise Center, which this summer will celebrate its 20th year of helping local entrepreneurs build great companies. The WT Enterprise Center is an essential part of Amarillo's entrepreneurial community, and the support, encouragement, and expertise they offer is invaluable to this region. So let's say you have a business idea, but you're not sure where to start. Or you have an existing business, but you're going through growing pains. You're overwhelmed by things like funding or marketing or your business model or even HR. The experts at the WT Enterprise Center can help coach you through every step in the process and connect you with the right resources to address those problems and grow your business. Learn more at WTEnterpriseCenter.com. Okay, I'm back with Viv Solomon. Viv, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. Eight Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum and Canyon on the WT campus. It's the largest history museum in Texas, and its collection includes a high-wheeled bicycle with more than eight wooden spokes. Uh, You can learn more about that at panhandleplains.org. Okay, so this is Eight Straight. Uh, I'm going to ask you eight straight questions. These are similar questions that I ask of all of my guests, uh, and... You can answer in as much detail as you want to. What's one thing 2020 revealed to you about local people? It opened my eyes to see how much more work we have left to do. All right. Work in in what capacity? There was a lot more division than I would have liked to see. Being a a Mexican-American woman and living through all of that in Amarillo, it kind of stunk. You know, Mm -hmm. um, just growing up here, I just I had more hope for um, less division than I saw. Did did that division ever find its way like into, you know, your your physical therapy setting? I I know there's so much division related to masks Mm -hmm. and the pandemic and and you're in a a workplace, you know, where you have personal contact with people, you know, yeah. you're in each other's space. Yeah. Um, how, like, how was that kind of navigating through that, uh, in that world? I will say I work with, um, a really good group of people. We don't always agree on everything, but 
I will say that we have enough respect for each other that we we can agree to disagree without having to tear each other apart, you know, which is what I would hope for the rest of the community. But that's not always the case. Okay. I want to ask a more personal question and, and you can answer this however you'd like. Um, a lot of the division when people think of last year uh, is related to George Floyd, the Black Lives Matter movement, the protests. But as you mentioned, like you, your heritage is Mexican-American. Mm-hmm. How has that division impacted you? You know, since you're you're not black, mm-hmm. but in a lot of places, you know, you might uh, be in minority status. And yeah. so what has that looked like uh, in this area? When the Black Lives Matter movement first began, uh, I was hopeful that a lot of a lot more people that either I grew up with or just was around that I've met in this area would have been in more support of it. I was really surprised to find out how many people weren't, which really, it really bothered me. And it was really hurtful in a sense, because I mean, to me, the Black Lives Matter movement is so necessary and so important, especially after something like the year 2020. It's it's statistically proven that black and brown communities experience a lot more adversity at the hand of racism. Growing up in a predominantly white area mm-hmm. and meeting, you know, having so many people that I grew up with that were white that I looked up to that um, I thought were really amazing people, hearing them be silent in that moment was really difficult. There is a lot of solidarity between, like you said, the black community and the brown community. Mm-hmm. Um, because both communities are of color, both um, you know, might, might be minorities, uh, at least in some parts of Amarillo. Yeah. Not all parts. Yeah. Um, but like there, there is a natural connection if you grow up uh, as, as you know, someone of, of Hispanic descent in a mostly white part of the country. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a, there's a really good saying it's in Spanish. It's called tu lucha es mi lucha, which means my fight is your fight. Okay. I have a lot of friends who are black. I have a niece who's a quarter black. Um, I'm surrounded by a lot of people of color and, um, of course I'm going to stand and support their community whenever it's time and always every day. So to me, that went without saying and without even, I didn't even have to think about supporting the Black Lives Mm -hmm. Matter movement. I just did because Black Lives Matter. (laughs) What does this area have too much of? Wind. (laughs) Wind, which I'm sure people have heard on this episode. I I wonder sometimes if I need to like qualify that question and say other than wind. (laughs) <laughs> what does this area have too much of? I feel like in Amarillo... Every, I mean, everybody feels that way, you know? I feel like in Amarillo, there's not really too much of a lot of things. There's a lot of things that we lack, <laughs> that we need more of, you know? What does this area not have enough of? Events. I'm a big... I'm an avid concert goer and of just live in, events in general. Um, it's a shame that I have to drive all the way to Dallas or to Houston to see a good show um, or like I really like comedy, like stand up Mm -hmm. comedy and things like that. I would love to see bigger artists and bigger, just bigger people come 
to Amarillo because I'm I love concerts. So and that's I, I feel like there's a lot of pent up demand this summer. That there's a lot of excitement about some of the concerts that are happening here. I mean, we've got performers like Jim Gaffigan coming, you know, to to Amarillo in a couple of months. But there's still like that that tier. Yeah. Of acts yeah. that don't come and, here anymore. And, you know, we're a smaller city, so that's just kind of what it is, you know. And I've grown up here, so I'm I'm used to it, but it would be so cool to see. And we do get a lot of, um, like, country mm-hmm. artists that come, which is, of course, they're going to cater to the audience here. I think there's a really large audience here that would like to see more, like, hip-hop and, like, R&B and things like that. I think the first, like, actual, like, hip-hop, R&B-esque artist I saw come to Amarillo was Russ. Yeah, I remember that. And that was like very recent. Like that was like a big deal. And that felt like a big deal. That was a big deal because you don't ever see artists like that come through here. So it was really neat. I got to take my two little cousins to their very first concert and um, it was really special. Okay. How do you describe Amarillo to people outside this area? Outside of this area, I always tell them that it's like a small big city because... There's a lot of things about Amarillo that, you know, still are tied to kind of a small town feel. We know everybody knows everyone. If you walk out of a store, someone might wave at you, Mm -hmm. which is great. Like people are super friendly, but it's also got some big city things to it, too. You know, our downtown area is growing and evolving a lot recently in the last few years. So I have a lot of friends that come visit me from Dallas and they're like, man, I was actually really surprised with how many things there are here. And I was like, I know it's kind of cool. Yeah. It's a lot of growth. What's your favorite season in Amarillo? My favorite season is summer, which I know a lot of people are going to be like, oh my gosh, why? Because it's super hot. But I love the sun. I love to be out at the lake. I grew up on Lake Meredith. Yeah. So I take a lot of trips to the lake in the summertime. You know, they now now you can kayak out there. Mm -hmm. My sister has a boat, so we take the boat out. It's just, I love being outside on the water. What's your favorite local restaurant? You mentioned the plaza already. You can take that off the list if you want to, or you can include that if you want to. You know, that's not my favorite, although I have much love for the plaza. Um, My favorite local restaurant has got to be Butter Love Biscuits. Okay. Because I love their biscuits and I love their brunch. (laughs) Their biscuits are so good. If you haven't had their biscuit, Benedict, I highly recommend it. It's phenomenal. Um, And just all of their brunch, you know, drinks, their mimosas. They have mimosas on tap. That's so cool. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Co-sign on that. That Benedict is really good. Yes. What's your favorite local coffee shop? The 806. All right. I love the environment that they have at the 806. There's always really cool art. You know, they're always holding some type of art gallery. Um, I like that it's kind of like a lounge also slash coffee shop. You know, you can go have a coffee or you can have a glass of wine and um, I love sitting on their patio. There's something about Sixth Street that feels really special. I think there's a there's a lot of people that would agree with that. Um, when was the last time you visited Cadillac Ranch? Actually, almost a year ago, um, around this time, my friends came to visit me from Dallas, and my best friend, she's from Frisco. She's never been to Cadillac Ranch. Okay. And they came for Fourth of July weekend. And so before... I took them out on the lake. She's an artist herself. And so she wanted to see it and she was so pumped. She was 
spray I think she spray painted a whole car while we were there All right. <laughs> so it was really cool was it something that was on your radar like growing up in Borger oh yeah I mean we it? would take trips there I think I remember as being as little as like 12 or 13 like taking a field trip to Cadillac Ranch like from school yeah okay yeah <laughs> I didn't know there were school field trips that yeah happened. yeah so um yeah I know I definitely grew up with Cadillac Ranch Okay, Viv, that concludes the eight straight questions. I like to close by asking my guests to endorse something. Uh, So what's one thing that you would want listeners to know about or to experience? Well, we spoke a little bit about IPOW earlier, um, the clinic that I work for. We're hosting a big event July 31st. It's called Wellness Weekend. And I'm actually on the forefront of putting the event together. So I would love to invite your listeners to that event. It's going to be a wellness, health, and fitness fair. I think after a year like 2020, it's it's in good sense to provide the community with adequate options to accomplish their health and fitness goals. And not only just health and fitness, but wellness in general. We're covering everything from Mental health, there's going to be mental health professionals there for the youth and adults. For me, wellness also means self-care, you know, treat Mm -hmm. yourself to a massage. Um, There's going to be lots of free things that we're giving away, like massages and like laser therapy that I mentioned earlier. All right. Viv Solomon, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jason. This was super fun. What a great conversation. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Viv for being my guest. You can find her podcast, How to Live with Viv, on all the major podcast apps. And I promise it's interesting whether you're in your 20s or not. I certainly am not in my 20s. I also want to say thanks to Panhandle Plains Historical Museum for sponsoring 8 Straight and to this week's show sponsors, the WT Enterprise Center and the Texas Outdoor Musical. This podcast exists every week because of listeners like you, so thank you for listening, and especially thanks to the local people who support it financially through patreon.com slash heyamarillo. Heyamarillo's executive producers include Jess Heredia, Katie Linger, Jason Burr, Barbara and Jim Witten, Chris Selda, Josh Wood, Corey Burns, Patrick Burns, Wilson Lemieux, and Wes Reeves. This has been episode 202. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.